Welcome to Voices United, a congregational song podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Brody, and my guest for this episode is author and professor David Lemley. David is assistant professor of religion at Pepperdine University and the author of the recent book, Becoming What We Sing. My interview with David took place at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan in February 2023. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining the podcast today. I'm very excited to get to talk with you about your recent book and hear a little bit more about your life. So I wonder if you could start by sharing a little bit about your earliest memories of hymns and congregational singing. Mm -hmm. And how did your childhood experiences shape your vocation as a scholar of congregational song? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. I grew up in the uh, Acapella Churches of Christ, so my earliest memories of, of worship of any kind was congregational singing. You know, I think my my experience was that as a child most of what we sang in church was were, were hymns that were you know that would be familiar to almost any tradition you know so those were really embedded in in my you know those were heart songs for me from an early age and and my experience of singing in that setting was four part harmony uh, out of hymnals with with the parts you know uh, we we didn't do there were some churches that were even doing shape notes at that time but we we just had you know the music in the hymnals but so I I learned to sing listening to my mother the alto and my dad the bass and you know finding finding my way into parts as as a child and 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 so a, a lot of my experience and what made it meaningful what made congregational singing meaningful to me was the that it was a way of hearing the voices of the church that yeah. meant something to me you know and so when i when i hear when i hear uh, hymns now i hear the voices of people that i grew up with i hear my grandmother's voice and i hear my you know my youth uh, minister's voice and you know as uh, and and so even today i i worship with an acapella church and there are people that when when we sing together i hear their voices and I think about their lives and what they've meant to me and I think that's uh, that's kind of a lifelong experience that was rooted in that childhood practice. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I think a lot of us probably associate certain songs with certain people mm-hmm. but, uh, but I love that idea and I, I, I suspect this is more common in a church that, that sings a cappella, mm-hmm. where you're not just the song, but but the particular voice yeah. you're 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 hearing when you sing. That's that's yeah. really neat. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really special thing. I think that um, that we know each other's voices in that way, and that that's the sound of our church. You know, for us, is the sound of these people mm-hmm. who we share life with in in that way. So I don't know that everybody thinks about it that way, but but I think growing up in it, that's a, that's the way I uh, hear it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Mm-hmm. So I, I I grew up in a family that was was very committed to faith and to the church and to Christian education. And those were those were things that were always happening in my life uh, growing up. Both my parents and my grandparents were involved in church leadership, in ministry, and in and in in uh, leadership or in teaching with with uh, uh, Christian education. So. Uh, you know, my, my faith journey, you know, starts with sort of the assumption of commitment to that, you know. And and then I would say I just, I think I had a a church that, that valued scripture and reading scripture and knowing scripture in a way that, for me, a love for scripture and a, and a familiarity with scripture was something that came 
pretty early and was encouraged by my family and the church I was a part of. So, uh, you know, I, I, I committed myself in, in faith very early. We, my, my experience was uh, water baptism as a, you know, point of becoming, uh, you know, naming myself as a disciple of Jesus. And, and I remember that moment very clearly, but there wasn't like a before and after <laughs> kind of story for me. But I think what, uh, what really shaped my faith as it is today, the moments that have been most significant, being in in, a, in, a, in an, an environment in high school with a lot of people from other ways of thinking and other you know beliefs and coming to really love them and know them and uh, and, and gaining a sense of the bigger world in that way was important and uh, and you know kind of have, developing some humility about what I believed and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, then I, I think in college there was really a point where a lot of the ways that my worldview had been constructed, you know, there was a, a period of deconstruction that uh, really challenged faith in, in the center of that. And I always think about how it was really getting to a point where I didn't know that I could believe what I had believed and reading Bonhoeffer, reading Cost of Discipleship and seeing him present Jesus' invitation to follow as the beginning point yeah. of faith. and. And I thought, well, I can do that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about all this other stuff, but I, but I deeply believe in you know, what Jesus teaches and says, and I can, I can follow into that. And then um, as an adult, I think some of the experiences that have been most important have been uh, some of the different communities I've been a part of and my, and my you know, continuing education. So um, I'm, I'm especially influenced by an experience in graduate school where I was part of a church that had leaders that were that represented Pentecostal and Anabaptist and and Church of Christ um, uh, roots and brought a lot of the best of those traditions together mm-hmm. in that experience and and that directed a lot of my interest in worship as a field of study because the emphasis on what we did in music in that in, it was an instrumental uh, environment for some of that time but but it was contemporary worship all that time, and it was a charismatic style. So what we were doing in music there and the encounter with God in that worship setting, what was being taught about life together in, and the experience of a house church model where discipleship was really emphasized, and the connection between how we worship and what we confess and worship and how we live really became a central question for me. And so eventually going to Fuller Seminary, and uh, the influence of uh, Todd Johnson, who was a, a mentor for me, and introduced me to streams of sacramental theology and uh, liturgical spirituality that have been, been both important to me academically and deeply important to me spiritually, personally, you know, in, in uh, how I think about faith. It gave me language for some of the things that had become important to me in spiritual formation and in worship that uh, I continue to benefit from. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I'm excited to dig into talking a little bit about your book, sure. uh, Becoming What We Sing, Formation Through Contemporary Worship Music, mm-hmm. published in 2021. Mm-hmm. Early in your book, you draw on the axiom, uh, lex serendi, lex credendi, mm-hmm. and then add a third lex, mm-hmm. lex vivendi. Mm-hmm. Can you discuss a little bit the relationship between these three? Yeah, and I, lex vivendi is a, is a term that others had, had, had uh, used that I had uh, encountered. And uh, some some people will talk about lex agendi, and I think of that as being a little more the mission or or practice. But lex vivendi, the the rule of of life, of lived faith. I like that point where 
there's going to be a relationship between the, the Lex Vivendi, I mean, the Lex uh, Arandi is how, to, how we worship. It's the way that we pray. Uh, the Lex... Uh, Credendi. Credendi, thank you. <laughs> I'll probably need a lot of help to remember what I wrote about. Uh, the Lex Credendi is the, the way that we believe, and then the Lex Vivendi is the way that we live. And this idea comes from a, a letter by, by a, a figure influenced by Augustine Prosper of Aquitaine, who is writing about the need to address doctrinal differences in the early church and, and is basically saying if, if, our, if our worship reflects our doctrine, we'll be formed in the right direction. The, the law of prayer, the lex orandi, is the law of belief, uh, the lex credendi. And in various traditions, that relationship is played out in different ways. For some, you, you, the tendency is to think that belief comes before the way that you worship, and, and for others, the way that you worship comes before what it is that you believe, but, but they are reciprocal, and they're always reciprocal. What, whatever we believe is going to affect what we, what we, the way that we worship, and vice versa. And if there's a change in one, there becomes a change in the other. Hmm. The Lex Vivendi is a piece that comes from, or, or that I am especially interested in, and looking at some people who think about liturgical spirituality, how, how does the way that we worship relate to the way that we are formed and the way that we live? Yeah. And so bringing it into that equation, I, I like the idea that all through Scripture, when, when we encounter God's direction about worship, there's a theme present that the way you authenticate your worship is because you live in the way that God mm-hmm. desires us to live. So, you know, I think of passages like uh, Isaiah 58 that talks about, you know, yes, you're doing all of these things, these rituals correctly, but you have not, you have neglected to fulfill the uh, the way that God wants you to live in relationship with one another. So your worship doesn't mean anything. So the the lex the law of of how our lives reflect this, the lex Vivendi is um, is in relationship to that Lex Arandi as well, and what we say we believe is going to be evidenced by whether or not we live in, in accordance to that. So, that, you know that theme plays out in the teaching of Jesus and in uh, in the New Testament in places like, you know the uh, the, the uh, Johannine letters. It's it's really evident throughout that there's this important relationship between if you want authentic worship, you have to have a life that looks like what God is calling us to. So all three of those things, I think, have that reciprocal intersection of if there's a change in the way that we worship, if there's a change in the way that we believe, there's a change in the way we live. And, uh, and so I think there, there's a model there for thinking about spiritual formation where if I want to grow into the maturity, Christian maturity in my Lex Vivendi, there's going to be a, a contribution that, that interplay between what we believe and what we do and how we worship as a community affects that. Yeah, that's great. It, your, your book, I think, digs a lot into both popular music and contemporary worship music mm-hmm. and looking beyond just kind of examining lyrics and music, but how is that shaping the mm-hmm. life of those who are kind of living in that culture? Mm-hmm. And so in your third chapter, uh, which, which discusses music as pop, Mm-hmm. and kind of talks about this lifestyle. What are some of those rituals mm-hmm. or characteristics of pop culture that mm-hmm. that are a, a part of that? Yeah. Yeah, this was something that really was fascinating to me in trying to think about how we're formed by the way we worship, to think about how 
uh, the way that we experience music as pop music is a is a new thing, <laughs> you know, in human history, yeah. and and the way that especially in pop music. I don't just know songs, and maybe sometimes it's not very much about the songs that I know, and and definitely it's not about the songs that I sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that there is a uh, there's a relationship between the, the song itself and the performer of the song, the way that it's performed, and the lifestyle that is uh, connected to, and and the preferences, taste preferences that are connected to the people that I enjoy this with. Yeah. So when we when we worship. In, in music, in the in a setting like that, cultural context like that, we're bringing that there. We've already been trained to think about music this way, mm. and and I think you know some of the roots of the tensions that we've had about music style have been not just because there's a style of song that sounds different than another style of song, but because people experience music as something that is meaningful to them because of their access to the recordings and the performers and the lifestyles mm. that are represented there. So that's that's kind of a question I wanted to explore in worship music is what does it mean for us to think about worship music as something that we experience within all those different components, not just what what's the style of music and what's the lyric, but what does it mean that we take on sort of the lifestyle of, of contemporary worship music listeners? What does it mean that we pursue the kind of worship experience that's modeled by the performers of these songs? And, yeah. 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 So, uh, did I get? Yeah, get no, that's, no I, I, that's great. I, yeah. I was. It, it made me think. I sometime in the last few days, I came across. I think I skimmed an article, but I what has stuck with me is this image. It was twin, early teen, young women who were Taylor Swift fans. Oh yeah. And they they were wearing the they had matching cardigans that mm-hmm. were just the same as t- what Taylor Swift wears or right. her line of clothes and. And it I, it made me think about that that yeah. you know this kind of way that it's more than just appreciating the music in yeah. many cases, it's imitating mm-hmm. those musicians or that lifestyle or the look of yeah. them and, and yeah uh, yeah yeah and we see that a lot I mean and more than we will talk about because there, that is one of the things that's odd about contemporary worship music is that we want it to be about these songs that we connect to God in and, and it is. But also, you can pick a worship leader out of a crowd because of the hat they're wearing. Yeah. You know? yep. I mean, we, we know what it looks like. We know what it. We know what the staging looks like. We know what the. We know what sincere worship looks like, in the faces people make and the gestures they make as performers of this music. And uh, and we learn to worship by by watching that and by adapting some of the things that they portray in their everyday lives to the way that we live. Yeah. So it's it's uh, yeah. And I and I feel like a lot a lot of the talk about that becomes negative about you know well we're selling out to the market, that can happen. But I'm much more interested in the idea that this is like when when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, the you know there there is going to be something different about this meal that you share. Yeah. But when you you know but when you bring this food to the table, it came from the same place everybody else's did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know how to do this table ritual and how to change this table ritual because of the, the norms that are, are part of what's going on outside that assembly. It's familiar. That's a, a great segue to what I want to oh, ask you yeah. next, which is you talk about pop music, and I think also in some, well, pop music at least, a, as an escape from daily routines. Mm-hmm. And you contrast that with, say, baptism and communion as mm-hmm. daily routines that get turned into holy actions. Yeah. How does pop or, or contemporary worship music function in this way? And how could it engage 
that routines, I mm -hmm. guess, in meaningful ways. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and I think uh, even, even in saying that, there's a place for music that is, that has a, a spiritual quality and a spiritual function that's just part of my private life and maybe functions like pop music typically does. Mm -hmm. But I think in the worship of the church, there has to be some reflection on what does it mean to to sing this song in 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 uh, parallel to the way that Paul says, what does it mean to have, for this to be the Lord's supper? You know, what does it mean for this to be uh, the Lord's you know track four of this uh, CD or whatever we yeah. got going on? <laughs> uh, what, what the Lord's playlist, right? So. Yeah, I think I think uh, some some of what I do I think is point to that more than really get prescriptive about it, but I but I think a lot of what we can consider is not only what we know from considering in in worship and what a worshiping community is called to be, and what authentic worship is, but also diving more into how can pop music function more effectively in a worship setting, drawing on some of its own resources, you know. So uh, yesterday I got to hear Melanie Ross. Ross, yes. Yesterday I got to hear Melanie Ross uh, talk about the, uh, and, and, and uh, some other scholars talk about the idea of the collective, uh, the, uh, the idea of a collective that is becoming more common in the way people think about how music, how worship is produced. But, you know, most of our experience of worship, music, and how we hear it and how it's performed has tended to be about a performer that has the skill to you know, lead us in that in some way. But within pop music, there are these odd groupings of, of artists that, that work in very collaborative ways, that perform in, in very uh, collaborative ways with each other and with their audiences even, that would uh, look more like what it is to say when you come together to sing, uh, you sing in one voice, you, you hear each other's voices, you are singing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. You know, can, can we lean into some elements of the pop music tradition that get closer to what a biblical theology of, of a worshiping community looks like? That, that's an example of it, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. You, tell, tell me where else we can go with that, I guess. No, no, I, think that's, I think that's great. Okay. Um, I, I, one thing I particularly appreciate in, in your book is that you draw attention beyond just, as I mentioned, just words and music, but mm -hmm. considering kind of the whole cultural lifestyle of, of contemporary worship music. Mm -hmm. Having said this, you do analyze or I guess chart sort of the changes in, in text mm -hmm. from, you know, the 1960s, early 70s mm -hmm. to the present. Could you share a little bit about kind of that trajectory, where you, yeah. where you see that? going or having gone. Yeah, sure. And I may, I may miss some things that, you know, as I'm trying to remember some of the story, but, but it really does seem like, especially looking at some other people's work where they have evaluated the themes that are present in the, in the songs that, and, and, and here I'm using, you know, songs that are most commonly reported in the CCLI copyright reporting system. So it doesn't necessarily represent everything that churches are singing, but it does represent the songs that are most commonly reported as being sung week to week by churches. And and if you track from, you know, when we look at the music of hymns, you know, the, the music of hymns has so much variety in the sorts of things that it, that are addressed theologically and experientially. And, uh, and then as you move further into the 50s and 60s, uh, you start to see the development of contemporary Christian music. 
and and the emphasis that contemporary Christian music has on s- sounding like something that is familiar to an outsider to, to come in and yeah. you know and so so there's kind of a there's kind of a, a continued uh, and be- and because of that too trying to draw an outsider in there's an element especially when you look at Calvary and some of the Jesus people there's an element of instructive content there yeah. you know yeah. so 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 a lot of that early contemporary worship music the language becomes more familiar language but what they're describing is still what does it mean to enter into a Christian community? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? But but then there's a shift that takes place in the you know in the seventies especially, where uh, you know in, in maybe in in some of the ways that are driven by the rise of evangelicalism and, and megachurches, where we lose some of that. Uh, you know that that training the the language of, of uh, introducing people to the faith or, yeah. or orienting people to the faith, and it really just becomes the the song of the church that's already gathered, in response to God. And and of course there are some really rich and meaningful songs speaking to God, but during this period of time too, you're starting to move into in the 70s and the 80s, the market that is developing around Christian music. And, and the songs that are going to become more familiar are going to be the ones that meet the widest possible audience. Yeah. To do that among Christians, you've got to drop a lot of the particulars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the specifics of theology and the specifics of experience begin to drop out. And, it, and more and more, increasingly in our texts, what we're seeing is what is the broadest possible thing we can say about God that the most possible worshipers can relate to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we see some really fascinating examples of where that breaks down, like the song In Christ Alone, which many people would say is sort of one of the greatest uh, contemporary worship songs that, in terms of text, it really captures a lot of what only hymns tended to do. But churches uh, may or may not include that because of the uh, theology that's there. And uh, often you find conversations where congregations are confused because that song means so much to them, but leaders are saying, but this is not really what we believe. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to sing Shout to the Lord because (laughs) there's there's not much there except for here's me expressing my response to God who is described in a way that, you know, most Christians universally are going to be able to affirm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the thing that has happened more recently that I, I find interesting is that what we can agree on in terms of practice is we are singing. Yeah. <laughs> and so increasingly, when we talk about anything that we are doing as Christians, we are singing about singing. Yeah. So we, you know, we're responding to God in this broad way, we're, we're, and we're singing about what it is to worship and be worshipers in a uh, assembly where we're singing these songs. Mm. That's the experience that can reach the widest possible audience. (laughs) David, you and I both work teaching undergraduate students who are, some of whom are going to go out and lead worship in Mm -hmm. churches. And I'm guessing in your church, in your school setting like mine, many of my students are coming from churches where they've only sung Mm -hmm. recent worship choruses. Yeah. What do you... What do you find in your teaching mm-hmm. and working with young people that's encouraging you about the future of congregational song and mm-hmm. maybe what what maybe causes you concern or or gives you pause? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I'll I'll start with the con- the concern. Re- really, the positive is easier to get to, but I, but I'll start with the concern. I think is generally when I when I have students that. You know, at the beginning of a class, I'll say, 
I really hope that when you leave this class, you're going to be able to talk about worship as something besides singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes at the end of a class, I will, I'll have students who reflect back. I did. I learned that it was more than singing, but what they'll describe to me is how to sing more authentically yeah, yeah. <laughs> or how to be a more worshipful person. That's a good outcome, but, but the things, the positive things that I see are when a student really grasps onto the idea that the way in which we worship, the things that we do in worship, are a rehearsal of the kingdom of God yeah, that we're yeah. going to perform in our lives every day outside yeah. of that. And that our experience of being disciples outside of the assembly is going to shape and make more meaningful the worship that we gather to do. If they can see that relationship, which is the, the idea of Arandi and Credendi and Vivendi being linked, and often they will see that. That changes the way they approach what they do when they lead worship, what they plan worship. And I have students that will talk to me later and say, I'm using this, you know, I, of, of, uh, of many of the classes I've taken, this has been one of the ones where I really am using this because I'm able to see opportunities to affect change in what we're doing, to recognize that people need more than, than just a place to express themselves, you yeah, know. Yeah. They, they need a place to encounter God and to know that they have encountered God in a transforming way and that there are tools in, in the study of worship to, to, to accomplish that or to, or to serve that, I should say. Yeah. How do you help students? These are mostly selfish questions because these are <laughs> things that I'm often asking by trying to figure out for myself, but students who come from a culture where it's all uh, where almost everything they're singing is is you know the top 20 mm -hmm. you know ccli list or whatever the, mm -hmm. this kind of small body of recent songs mm -hmm. and yet as you discuss in your book you know forming disciples requires singing more than uh, on a wider variety of things than is maybe covered in those 20 songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do you, and, and really there's a, there's a sort of, if we think of that culture of, of that evangelical contemporary worship music, mm -hmm. it, this is a countercultural response that a worship director or a pastor needs to have to tell the congregation, okay, we're not going to just sing these 20 songs, yeah. we're going to add this song or these songs because it's helping us to lament or yeah. confess our sins or whatever these other mm -hmm. aspects of the order that we're, mm -hmm. that we're emphasizing at this moment. Mm -hmm. How do you help students or prepare students for mm -hmm. that? Because you're, we're sort of preparing them to, to be ready for conflict. I yeah. mean, there's going to be conflict yeah. to some extent, using that term broadly, mm -hmm. you know, when people aren't are having to sing things that they're not expecting or aren't familiar or yeah. on topics they're not anticipating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they're going to expand that repertoire, how do they approach that in a congregational setting to uh, to anticipate the conflict of, of making changes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I, I think that there are some ways in which introducing students to the, the deeper history and global history of worship helps them to think more about what music and worship can do and can serve in worship. And, and I, think, I think some of the more effective ways that I've, I've seen people deal with that is to start with what's the common concern here and how is the change that we're bringing about meeting the common concern. Yeah. 
And that often that means expanding that range of concerns beyond what people typically think of music doing. But I think if, if, um, if they're able, if, a, if someone wants to introduce lament in a congregation where the emphasis has been on an experience of intimacy that is affirming, you know, yeah. how do you, you know, how do you do that? Well, you, you might have to teach about lament first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you might, you might need to bring in some voices, lamenting voices, to demonstrate what that is. And to, and to make people aware of the way in which they are joining with the global church or the historic church in this practice in order to make it meaningful, to recognize that this may not be a song that brings about the feelings that you were used to. Because that's another thing that I think is so significant about contemporary worship music is that so much of it latches onto the same sort of affective experience yeah. Yeah. that we come to see as that this is what it is to worship authentically, is to have this feeling with God. And I don't want to be dismissive of that. That's formative as well, but but uh, you know then then how do you extend that into a, a genre or a style or a feeling that is not what people are used to in their repertoire? Hmm. I, I think I think that can be beneficial. Uh, so you know if, if we're lamenting, what are we lamenting? Why are we lamenting? Yeah. Who are we who are we lamenting with? And I think a, a congregation that sees we are singing this song with someone among us who needs to encounter God in this way, or we are singing this song with Christians in another place that need to encounter God in this way, that then it can become a meaningful part of a repertoire. But it really, I think, does have to be connected to people and stories. And, yeah. and maybe it's also teaching the congregation to welcome a different affect. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I wonder about that, too, I, because, because I haven't seen... That's something I'm, I, 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 I believe is, <laughs> is, a, is a big part of this, but I, I, don't, I can't speak from experience of, of listening to people talk about making that kind of change or, or using that kind of language to describe it. But, you know, what, when, when I introduce to students you know, what, what is often looked at as the fourfold, you know, components of the traditional liturgy, it just makes sense, you know. They, they they see it and they say, okay, we see this as biblical. We see this this tradition as meaningful. We see this the full story of God is, you know, presented if we if we give attention to gathering and to word and to response or the table, and and to uh, sending our congregation. Then, uh, if they buy that vision of all that worship can do, it's it's then pretty simple to say. So where, what is our music doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we see that mostly it just sits in that, that response category. Mostly it does function with, with limited but some effectiveness as, as a sacramental encounter for, for churches, um, a place of expression. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, when, when you do that, when you, do, when you, when you lay those, those things out and say, here are all the components of what it is to worship, and that preaching is worship, and that communion is worship, and that, you know, uh, then, then it opens, I think, a lot of their awareness of the, the other types of things we would need music to do yeah. For, yeah. for music to do that. So if we, if we typically think about worship as music, as musical experience, that presents some of the gaps in what we need to experience musically in worship. That's good. Well, David, it's really been a delight getting to talk with you about your book. I highly recommend it to to listeners. Again, it's Becoming What We Sing, Formation Through Contemporary Worship Music. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to close by asking you five questions mm-hmm. that I ask each person I interview for this podcast. Mm-hmm. The first is, which hymn or song has most shaped your faith? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love these these questions. I think, I think uh, this is kind of a later development 
but the church's one foundation is is a song that has come to mean so much to me. Uh, it's a it's it's an older hymn. It it it's just amazing to me what it captures. <laughs> that that it really tells the it tells the full gospel. It anticipates in a in a meaningful way, musically and affectively, culmination of all God wants to do. It is worshipful and it is instructive and it is a, a call to repent and believe all all in one. You know. And so I, I come back to that one a lot with um, and think about how much that, that song in particular, but other songs that do similar things, probably shaped my imagination for worship and, and uh, Christian faith in a significant way. That's great. What hymn do you turn to for comfort? I, I, uh, I think many, you know, and, and like we said, sometimes it's because of the way we sang them or, or the way we experienced them, you know, and the, the comfort we felt in a certain environment. I think a lot of abide with me. It uh, it is a, a song that really reflects the presence and the love of God, but also the experience of longing for that and in the absence of comfort, and the comfort that comes. And I can hear so many voices of of other people singing it. I think of uh, a particular mentor, D.S. DeLove, who used to used to recite hymns for our church sometimes when she would speak. And uh, I, I when I hear that song, I think of her speaking those words, and uh, there's there's so much uh, pastoral care and comfort in, in that for me. Yeah. What's your favorite piece of music? I, I love, you know, knowing this might be coming, in a, and it was, it's hard to decide <laughs> what to say, yeah. but I'll say, I'll say the thing that I, I kind of fall into with students, <laughs> which, which is I play them the uh, the Talking Heads song "Naive Melody." This must be the place, <laughs> and I and I just describe for them how there there is something in this piece of music that it just in and of itself it just I mean the the point of the song is it's describing what it feels like to be with a person who feels like home, mm-hmm. and and in the and, and in the performance of it there is so much oddity and quirkiness <laughs> and sincerity. Mm-hmm that it just feels uh, real to me, you know? And uh, so I think that's, you know, when I, when I feel uh, uncentered, sometimes that's a song I just come back to because uh, I, I uh, feel re- reconnected in it. <laughs> that's great. What book other than the Bible has most shaped your faith or influenced your vocation? I mentioned Bonhoeffer, and that, that, that was important to me. I, I think, though... Uh, you know, maybe maybe another uh, that uh, in in terms of thinking about vocation was beginning to read some of the uh, classics in in mystical Christianity and uh, the the sacrament of the present moment, uh, Jean Pierre de Cassade, or or sometimes it's it's titled the uh, sacrament of the present moment, or well, I I can't think of it. We can edit that part out. <laughs> But it, uh, but it's just such a beautiful description of the the presence of God in the lex vivendi, <laughs> the the availability of God and the work of God that is hidden to us, that's going on besides whatever effort we might put into our own faith development or formation, and I think when I look at my own spiritual development and when I teach about spiritual development, that's one of the things I hope students will most encounter is the idea that God is doing this, yeah. that, that, that God desires to do this, and that you put yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit works, and, and then you trust that He's working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that really shaped my 
my sense of calling and, and the way that I approach the, the teaching that I do in a significant way. Great. Oh, the sacrament of, no, oh, no, I've lost it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, what hymn would you like to have sung at your funeral? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. The, uh, the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, mm. which I, I actually prefer uh, Rich Mullen's recording of this, <laughs> his arrangement <laughs> of this, and I go back to that a lot, but, uh, but I would love for that to, uh, to be something that is heard and, and that represents a fact of my life uh, at that point. Yeah. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you. Voices United, a congregational song podcast, is produced by Benjamin Brody with support from the Hymn Society in the United States and Canada and Whitworth University. Special thanks to the Center for Congregational Song for publicity and technical expertise and Whitworth University student Juan Rodriguez for editing and production.